Well, happy new year, everybody. Anybody happy about a new year? Anybody excited that it's a new year? Any people that like new year? Anybody, anybody any fans? Anybody have a resolution? It's okay. Oh, wow. No one, no one has resolutions. Anybody, uh, anybody already give up their resolution? Anybody honest in church seven days in? I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. I think it's funny, like nobody raised their hand about resolutions. That's, that's interesting because I have a theory about New Year. I like New Year. I like the clean slate. I like to turn the page. I, I like what that kind of does to me mentally. I'm a goal-oriented person. I like to write down goals and go get them and stuff like that. You know, I like what it does, but I got a theory about New Year that most of us aren't falling for it. Most of us realize there's not all that much different between 11.59 December 31st and 12 a.m. January 1st that I'm pretty much the same dude when that clock switches over. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's that old adage that wherever you go, there you'll be. And it doesn't matter if the calendar says December or January. It doesn't really matter so much if it says 2015, 16, 17, or 18. I have found that I can tell myself all day long that it's a new year, but really I've also lived long enough to go around the sun enough times to realize that a lot of the time what I hope to be new year turns out to be same old, same old. You ever felt that? You ever felt like that? Like, you know what? Like you, you start out, you're like, I'm going to get a gym membership. I'm going to Atkins diet the crap out of my life. And I'm going to just like, and you, you just, you hit it hard and you got the app and you're not eating carbs. You're just eating like tree bark and quinoa and that's all you do. And like you immediately lose like 70 pounds and you aren't even recognizable and your cheeks are sucked in and stuff. Like we're doing this weight loss challenge at our, on, our, on our staff and uh, we got a couple staffers that are like, they're not even recognizable like 10 days in. That is not a healthy weight loss mode, just saying. But you, you, you jump in, you're like, I'm gonna lose all this weight and you lose all that weight and you're like dropping 20, 30, 40 pounds and then it comes May, it gets a little warmer out and I love barbecue and just, you know, you're hitting burgers and all of a sudden it's August and you're starting to see that come back and, and then it's, it's October and you're back to where you were and they're like, well, I lost this year and so you just gorge in November and December. And now you're heavier than you were in 2017. And it's like, well, I had good intentions about a new year and a new me in 2018, but I had the same old cravings for the same old Cheetos and I have the same old man boobs. <laughs> seeing if you're paying attention. <laughs> That's how it goes though, isn't it? Like you can tell yourself it's new. You can tell yourself it's a brand new start, but you really know it's not really that new. It's, it's not really fair to call a new year a new year. It's more like it's another year or it's an additional year or it's an, it's an iteration, another iteration of the years I'd already been doing. It's still my life and I'm still me and I've still got my same struggles and my same things going on. And so I think a lot of the time we get a little jaded when it comes to the idea of a new year. And a lot of us don't buy it because we know it's not so simple to just tell yourself, I'm going to be a new me in 2018. You've done the fight and you've gone around the sun enough times to know that new year often turns into same old, same old. You've done the weight loss fight and it just seems like you come looping back around to the same place you were in the first place. Or maybe there's heavier issues you're dealing with. You got some stuff in the past and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna get over it. That relationship's not hanging over me any longer. And then, you know what? You do good for a little while and then you see them and all of a sudden you realize, you know, same old, same old. I still wanna kill them, right? Like, 
Or maybe it's like you're, you, you struggle with alcohol and you, you, know, like I'm, you went to Celebrate Recovery last year and you got on the STEP program and you were seeing some good results and we love Celebrate Recovery and you're, you're walking and you're doing the steps and then all of a sudden something happens in your life and you stumble and you trip and then you find you're back with the same old bottle, hang out with the same old people with the same old destructive habits. Has anybody ever felt that way? I'm not, I'm not trying to like just destroy your hopes for New Year. Like, go get it. I'm, I'm all about it. I've got some goals myself. But I think most of us, if you've lived and you've gone around the sun enough to know, a new year is more just another trip around the sun. And a lot of the things that we call new are really just adaptations or recycling of former things. Do you know if you look in the dictionary and you look up new, the dictionary actually defines new as something that did not exist before. A lot of the time when we call something new, it's maybe new to us, but it already existed. Or it's something that's new. It's a new iteration or an adaptation or an addition, but it's not truly new. It's something that was preexistent. Like, for example, uh, last week I went, I went downstairs to see some of our uh, worship department people, and I saw Pastor Jay and AJ and Shay, and I had something to ping by them. And I noticed they were putting in new furniture, like, hey, new furniture, guys. And they're like, yeah, we're excited. I said, well, that's not actually new. That's my old furniture. Like, well, it's new to them and they're excited about it, but it's not technically new. And when you get think, thinking and talking about the word new, for something to be new, it, it needed to not exist before. And so when we come into these new years and we adapt certain habits and certain things, we, we end up getting ourselves in a cycle, a circular cycle, and we find ourselves in patterns where we'll have a little success for a while and then we'll relapse back into what we were before. And so I think a lot of us get jaded when it comes to the idea of new year or new you because we realize at best it's going to be a modified version of what I already was. I might just do a little better this year, but I'll tell you something. There are some areas in my life and probably some areas in your life, and I'd say there's some areas in our region and in our culture where we don't need another trip around the sun. We don't need a slightly better version of what we already were. We need new like there are some areas in my life where I need some new wisdom for complicated problems. I don't need a new adaptation or an old adaptation or a slightly different version of what I was already doing. I've got new areas in my life where I need new wisdom. There are, there are some fights and battles that I have at this stage in my life that I didn't have before. I need new strength for new days and new fights. I need all kinds of new things happening in my life. And I, I suspect you're the same. And so here's the question. Where does actual, like, new come from? Like, if, if in 2018 you really were, if this time next year you really were going to look back and say, you know what, I am different. Like, I really am different fundamentally. Like, I'm not just white-knuckling, you know, behavior-modifying my life to where I have seen some different results. Like, I'm legitimately a different person. There are some things about me that did not exist in 2017 that now exist, and I'm thankful for it. What does it take to see the new come into your life? What does it take to finally break out of some of those cycles and some of those repetitive, destructive things that we find crop up year after year? What does it take to finally get new victory and new strength and new hope and new meaning in this life? I want to ask the question, where does new come from? Now, if you uh, are just joining us, you picked a great day to start. You picked a great day to come. We're starting a brand new series 
in the book of Genesis. Now, what I call a series is basically a string of different teachings. So for the next several weeks, if you come and join us, we're going to be in this book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible. And if you are just joining us now, you wouldn't know, but maybe for some of you who've been here for a while, you know that generally we've got some book of the Bible that we're working through over the long haul. If you were here five years ago, you'd know we did the book of Luke. We did it for like two and a half years. And then the next two and a half years, we did the book of Acts. And some of you people who are brand new are like, oh my goodness, what do I sign myself up for? A three-year journey through a book of the Bible. I'll tell you what, it's awesome. So today we're jumping in, we're going to start a brand new one because we finished Acts and we're going to spend the next few months in the book of Genesis and we're going to look at it and see what God has to say to us. And so if you have a Bible, just open it right up, Genesis 1. I think we're going to see right here where new comes from. We're going to answer that question, where does new come from? I'm going to read Genesis 1. I'm going to pull out a few observations to help us see and realize that if something new, if, if a new you is going to arrive in 2018, here's what it's going to take. All right, so I want you to see this, and we're going to look at it. As you're, as you're getting ready, I want to say a couple things about the book of Genesis. Uh, the book of Genesis has probably been the most, with maybe the exception of Revelation, the most misappropriated, misapplied, and misconstrued book in the whole Bible. People have tried to make that say things it does not say. They've tried to make it accomplish things it was never meant to accomplish. And so there's a way that we need to approach Genesis to get out of it what God wants, to get, wants us to get out of it. Here's what you need to know. Uh, was anybody here in December for the uh, apologetic series? I did a talk about kind of bridging the gap between uh, faith and science and the fact that faith is reasonable. And one of my main points was this, is that when it comes to issues of faith and issues of God and issues of origin, that is a metaphysical conversation. But when it comes to issues of science, that is a physical conversation. Science is stuff that we Science is what we use to discover the physical world. When we talk about God, that is a metaphysical conversation. Anybody remember that? Some of you looking like, you are a huge nerd. Yeah, so when we talk about Genesis, what Genesis is not a biology, a chemistry, or physics textbook. People have tried to make it that. They've tried, to, they've tried to look at science and make the Bible answer to science and try to bend it and warp it in a way that they're going to try to make it all fit just nice and neat. The, Genesis is not trying to accomplish that. It is making a metaphysical statement about the origin of all things. It's not getting into the how, it's getting into the why and the who. Understand? So when we read Genesis... It's not that you aren't supposed to take it literally, but you're not supposed to take it literally in the sense that it bypasses you looking at what is it actually trying to say to me. Like one, one writer, C.S. Lewis said, we make the mistake of not reading the Bible literarily. It's not that it's not literal. It's that when you read a book, you're trying to, trying to find what is the writer or the person who originated this, what are they trying to say to me, Correct. But people have looked at the, at the book of Genesis to try to get information out of it or answers out of it that it's not trying to give you. Let, what we're about to read today is a Hebrew poem. This is not a, uh, you know, a, a thesis paper on how things were created. That's not what it is. It's a poem to communicate how God creates. Understand? So we're going to look at that today. Now that i got your framework right, and we're going to look at where new comes from. Genesis 1, if you have a Bible, open it up. You can read along with me. I want you to highlight. I want you to mark this up because your Bible is meant for you to, to ingest, not to be some shrine that you put on, the, on, the, you know, on your coffee table and never open. All right, here we go. Genesis 1, 1, it says this. This is the start of the whole Bible. Are you ready? 
Just picture the, the, the space text, and here comes the yellow. And here it comes, it's scrolling. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created. Highlight that, circle it, underline it, because we're going to talk about that. God created the heavens and the earth. What's the that he- all things Genesis is saying have found their origin from God. That that before things began, God was and God created. So everything came from God. This is the question of origins. We talked about it a little bit in the last series. Talking about okay, we talk about the Big Bang. Well, who threw the rocks together? Who lit the wick? That's what we're that's what we're saying here in Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. There was nothing. And darkness covered the deep waters. That's, that's a represent, that's a poet, that's poetry for chaos is what that is. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then look what it says. And then God, can you say it out loud? Said, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Let's pull some observations here and just look at where new came from. First, you got to understand something. When I had you circle the word God created, the word created in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word bara, and it's connected to the Greek word ex, ex nihilo. And that means, basically, the word create is different than what you and I would use the word create for. Like my son uh, will paint a picture, and we would say, he created the work of art. Will we not? Well, that's not what this word is. This word, creation ex nihilo, is actually to make something from nothing. That's what it means to create. So for me to say my son made, he created a picture for me is to misappropriate that word. God has a different definition of what create means than you and I have. When we create, we take something and make it into something, correct? We take pre-existent materials and we reshape it and reform it and we express ourselves and it's a beautiful thing. Art's a beautiful thing. The people who built this building, it's a beautiful thing. The, the guy who clearly, I think, has fixed the heater, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, you know what? That's a great thing. But they have taken pre-existent materials and reshaped them into something that continues to exist. But when God creates, God takes, some, God takes nothing immaterial and he brings it into, into being. So God, when he creates, creates something from nothing. So what can we see that the Bible's trying to show us right here when we take that creation ex nihilo? It means this. In order for anything actually new, like in the definition of new, something to come into existence, it actually has to come from outside of existence to begin with. Otherwise, it's not true creation. It's just a readaptation or a revolution or a reorganization of something that preexisted. Are we getting too philosophical on a Sunday morning? You're hanging with me. So when God creates, God makes something where there was nothing. So in order for something actually new to happen in your life, in order for there to be hope where there was no hope, in order for there to be peace where there was no peace, in order for there to be joy where there was no joy, it's not going to happen from you reorganizing or reordering things to try to produce a different result. Creation actually comes only from God. That God is the creator and everything else is creation. And we can shape it and apply it and move it and arrange it any way we want. But for something truly new to come, it's going to be because God did it. 
That if you want something new, if, if, if you want in the, in the chaos of your life, it says that God spoke order into the chaos. Some of you have some chaos in your life. You got some family chaos. You got some chaos in your body with those Cheetos or whatever. If you, if you want order in the chaos, it's going to be because God spoke. And you saw how God created, didn't you? God creates by his word. It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Something from nothing. How does God create? By his word. So here, here if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We get talking about the true new. We get talking about if I want to see the new happen in my life. Here, here's the deal. True new requires word power. Word power. What do I mean by that? So only God can create, and God's creative mechanism is his word. Now, when you start a new year, when you start a new goal, you want to be a new you, and you want to change how you are and get some new results this year, how do you usually approach it? Willpower, right? You get a Tony Robbins book or whatever you do, and you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror and say, you're a champion. You're going to conquer this day. You're going to go out here and you're going to do it. You can do anything you put your mind to, and you rehearse all the things your mama told you, that you're special. You're different than the other kids. You can do whatever you want. You live your dream and you go get it. Just follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Willpower. But let's be honest about willpower for a second. Isn't your will the thing that got you into trouble in the first place? <laughs> like, it's not that you didn't have willpower when you set out to lose weight. It's just your will for the Cheetos was greater than your will to lose weight. You still have will. Your, your, your will is powerful. It's just not powerful enough in the right way. Listen, your will is the problem, not the thing that's going to make you new. Your will is the issue, my will. That's why I kind of scoff, and you've heard, if you come here, you've heard me laugh at it, but every time I see somebody post on Facebook some of those stupid little memes with a, with a star saying, shoot for the stars, and, and you can do whatever you put your mind to. No, you can't. <laughs> Just follow your heart. That's terrible advice. Be true to yourself. No, do not be true to yourself. That's going to get you killed. <laughs> it is. Listen, listen, I know I'm having fun, but the Bible, that's, that's the main thrust of the Bible. The message to humanity is this. Your heart is brutally deceptive, super, super divisive and destructive. The Bible even says you can't even trust your own heart because it's going to lead you. Your will is going to take you into destruction. At very, at very best, your will is just going to get into some circular holding pattern where you keep going around the circle of the same cycles of the same destructive behavior, fall into the same stupid stuff over and over again. Your will is the problem. You know what the definition of insanity is? Is to do the same thing over and over and over again and, and expect different results. 
What if this year you stopped looking at your life saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. This is the year I lose the weight. This is the year I kick the drug. This is the year I get my family in order. This is the year my marriage gets better. And instead of thinking, how am I going to do that? You actually look to the word of God and say, God, it's only going to be because you spoke it into my life. It's only you that when you look at the chaos in my life that can say order and things come into order. It's only you that can speak into the emptiness and the void and the spaces and the gaps in my life and say, let there be, and it comes into being. It's word power. So you came to the right place to start your year. You, you, need, you need God to speak into those places and those spaces and those gaps and those crazy, disordered, disembobulated things, discombobulated things, and say, order. Let there be order. Let there be design. Let there be purpose. Let there be peace. Let there be life. Let there be light in the darkness. See, God is the one that can speak creation. It's only God. He does it by the power of his word. Now, the word, word is a fairly confusing word in the Bible. English actually lacks language. It's not the greatest language when it comes to like trying to understand Hebrew. Hebrew sometimes has multiple words for a word that we only have one word for, like love. Like Hebrew has several words for the word love, but we use the word love for, I love my wife and I love tacos. Like it's, English like cuts a lot of corners. So, so the Bible, though, when it talks about the word, don't understand it so much as like language. The word of God, think of it more as it's God's creative agent. It's actually his manifest, tangible power. Think about it more like God's word is electricity. It's like the actual electrical current that flows from him who is the source or the generator of all power in the universe. His word is actually the current, the current of electricity that carries his will forth. That's what his word is. So when it talks about he spoke, it's more than just like, let there be light. Like that's not, that's not what it wants you to hear. It's that God's, God willed it and the the, the, the uh, manifestation or the, the materialization of his will, hang with me, is his word. That's his will quantified is his word. So when he says, let there be his word or the, the materialization of his will or his wish is his word. Are you tracking with me? That's what the word of God is. So we see it in a few different ways. The word is the logos, the, the written word, what God has said. That's the Bible. The word is the rhema, the, the spirit. It's God's prophetic word. How many of you know God still speaks? He can speak through, uh, he can speak through signs. He can speak through your, your, your still small voice in your soul. He can speak through a brother or sister. He can speak through dreams. God speaks all the time if you'll listen. Now, just pro tip, if he ever says something, if someone ever comes to you and says, God says this, listen to them, but if what they say doesn't line up with what God already said, God didn't say it, all right? Just a pro tip there. So God speaks, God spoke, but the most clear revelation of God's word is Jesus, the Bible actually calls Jesus the word of God, the, the living, manifest, tangible power of God. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the word. That's what John the apostle meant in John 1 where he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And it says, and the word became flesh. That's, what, that's who Jesus is. We believe Jesus was God becoming God in a body. That's who Jesus is. The word became flesh. So get this. I want you to hang with me. The word of God is Jesus. So 
the creative agent of all things, the manifest will of God, the power of God made tangible is the word, and the word is Jesus. And the word has been spoken or given to us. Now get this in your mind. I know, hang with me. Do the, do the mental gymnastics here. God spoke his word and it has been fulfilled and given in Jesus. Let me read a scripture and I'll, and I'll unpack it for really quick. Hebrews 1 says this. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. He, so he already said it. He spoke to us by his, can you say it out loud? His son. Who's that? Jesus. Yeah, the answer is almost always Jesus in church, just so you know. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Look at it. There it is. We talked about the word being the medium or the, the, the tangible creative power. So through whom he also created the world. So Jesus, the word of God, is the creative agent in all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. And he upholds the universe, there it is, by the word of his power. So the word of God is Jesus, spoken, given to us. And so that's what's, what does this mean? Let me boil this all down for you. If, if what you need is word power for this year. You need God to speak into your soul, bring life where there was no life, light where there's darkness, freedom where there's bondage, order where there's chaos. If what you need is word power, here's the good news. It's already been spoken and given to you in Jesus. So when you come to Jesus, you say, I trust you, Jesus. I'm receiving you, Jesus. What you are in effect doing is you are coming and you are receiving the fulfillment of every let there be God has ever spoken. You're like, say what? When God said, let there be life, Jesus is the fulfillment of that let there be. Every single blank or gap or empty space or dark space or disordered space in your universe or in our universe the fulfillment of that gap or the, the fulfillment or embodiment of God's will is Jesus. So you're still looking at me like, I don't get you, man. 2 Corinthians 1.20, let, let me say it like this. For all the promises of God, what is a promise? All the things God has said find their yes, their fulfillment in Jesus. That is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. What is that saying? It's saying everything that God has said, let there be, has been given and fulfilled in Jesus. That is why we utter our amen to Jesus. We say, I'm coming to Jesus. You know what amen means? Amen means let it be unto me. When you say amen, you're saying, I'll have some of that. That's in effect what amen means. So you're saying, yeah, me too. I want some. So when you say amen, or you, you say, I want Jesus, you are receiving the word. You are receiving the yes 
to all of the promises of God. I'm getting happy about this. I don't know if you're, you're tracking with me or not. Maybe you're like, i got to think about that for a while. When you come to Jesus and you say, I need, when you, when you say, I need peace, God said already, let there be peace in Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you come to peace. When you come to Jesus, you come to order where there's chaos. When you come to Jesus, Jesus said, I am the light of the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. When you come to him, you come to light and life and hope. He is the fill, fulfillment of every blank in the universe. That's who he is. When God says, let there be, he has answered it in Jesus. If you need word power, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Let's keep going. I, I don't feel like I'm going to be able to explain that any better. Genesis, <laughs> verse 11. It says, then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit, these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. If you want to circle, and that is what happened. We're going to come back to that. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees of seed-bearing fruits, and their seeds produced, circle that, plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. And then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Notice that was several days in. If anybody wants to arm wrestle you and say, nope, when God created, it was seven literal 24-hour days. Well, he didn't even make time till a few days in, so I don't know how you're getting that. Anyway, actually, the word day, as we're reading this, comes from the, a word that actually we, we get the word aeon from, eon. So it said, God made two great lights, one to govern the day, one the smaller one to govern the night. He also made stars. God set the lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day and the night to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird. And here it is. Each producing offspring of the same kind. Uh, and then God said it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And the evening passed, and the morning came, marking the fifth day. And then God said, Let the earth produce. I like the old King James for that. He says, Let the earth bring forth every sort of animal, each producing, bringing forth offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals, and that is what happened. Circle that and underline that. We'll come back. And God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each, here it is, able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. I want to show you another principle when it comes to the new. God is the genesis. God is the one who begins things in us. God is the one who initiates. He is the originator. Nothing new is coming into your life unless God spoke it, unless God planted it. Now, when God does that, though, a lot of the time when we think of it, we think of it, we actually think God's going to do by, he's going to create things by creating a finished product. But God actually creates things that have the capacity to bring forth more. He didn't, so in other words, he didn't create a done thing. He created something that was going to, I'll use this word, evolve. It was going to make more. It was going to produce more. That's why it says, let the earth bring forth. I'm not this, I'm not, if you don't get hung up, I'm not, I'm not making some big case for evolution. I'm saying when God creates, he creates creations with capacity to make more. That's what I'm saying. 
He's, God, you have to understand this, does not just pop out finished products. What he does is he plants his will inside of us that actually opens up and brings out a capacity to bring forth his will. Let me, let me say it like this. A guy much smarter than me uh, and older and wiser, uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, I heard him in an interview one time talking about how God doesn't make chairs. And people looked at him confused like you're looking at me right now. And God doesn't make chairs. And he went on to say this. He goes, God makes trees. God makes trees, and then he makes people, and he put inside people the capacity to make chairs. So that God actually creates creations that have capacity inside of them to actually bring about what it was his will in the first place. Do you understand? So a lot of the time when it comes to you and me and it comes to our new year, sometimes we come to God and we pray that he would just pop down a new chair. And God says, I don't make chairs. I make trees. You make chairs. And God puts capacity inside of us to actually have to walk out and get this in partnership with his will. That there are things in this world that only God can do, but there are also things in this world that only God will do through you. And that's so significant. I think a lot of us get stalled in our faith and in our walk with God because we say, God, would you do this? And then God says, you're praying for a chair. I made trees. You make the chair. You get, here, here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. Here's your second realization. If you're going to see God do something new in your life, it's going to be because he planted a word, a vision, a promise in you. But then what you have to do is you have to walk in that promise. And it's going to take work. Sorry. You actually have to work it. You have to work your faith. I think sometimes we get hung up and we think faith is the same thing as belief. Faith and belief are two different things. You can believe something but not actually like actually have to put it into practice. You have to actually have faith to see these things unlocked. And what happens is in some beautiful dance of the natural and the supernatural, as you naturally walk forward in faith, believing what God has said, and you walk it out, what happens is God does the things that only he can do, but he does it in and through you. And so you're going to look back over your life and you say, those are some things in my life that only God could have done, but if I didn't do that, he never would have done it. And that's what it looks like when God does new things in you. I would say it for our church. I get to have conversations all the time with pastors and leaders of other churches. And they'll come to me and they'll say, it's an amazing thing what God has done at King's Church. And I'll be the first person to say, yeah, it is. It's amazing. I can tell you story after story after story where God did something where there was nothing, where God, where God brought order to chaos, where God did things that only God could have done and he gets all the credit for it. But I also have other conversations with Christian leaders that come to, come to me and say, wow, what you guys are doing there, that's awesome. And I'll be the first person to say, yeah, it is. There's all kinds of things that if we did not do it, it would not have happened. There are trees and then there are people who are supposed to make chairs. And so our job is to walk out in the natural in obedience and in faith and in co-labor so that when God does what only he can do, he does it through us. You understand what I'm saying? 
that if God's going to do something new, it's not just because he spoke it, but if it's going to come into fruition, it's going to be because you walked it out and you worked it out in faith. And that's what happens when God does something new in your life. It's going to be because you walked in faith. See, sometimes I think, depending on what maybe circles, maybe you didn't grow up in church and you're free of all this, but depending on what your church background is, you probably had some angle upon like when, when new things happen. Some people will try to like think, they'll try to separate the natural from the supernatural and say that, well, you know, to God be the glory. Yes, to God be the glory. But did you know that God gets the glory over your physical accomplishments too? You know, if you're good at singing, God gets the glory. He put the, bo- the voice box in your mouth. You know, if you're a craftsman, God gets the glory for that. He gave you the capacity to do that. I think we downplay our natural responsibility in seeing God do supernatural things. So we have a part to play. It takes work. That's realization number two. I'm going to wrap things up in just a second. But God wants you to know that right now he has placed capacity inside of you. God said, let the earth bring forth. I want more to happen, but the earth's going to partner with me. God's saying over your life right now, let Brent bring forth. There are some things that he has buried inside of me that he wants me to bring forth, and he's, and he's waiting on me. And that's, that's how it looks when God does something new. All right, let's read the last thing, and I'm going to get one more, one more little point in, and I'm going to get you home on time. Verse 26 says this. When we talk about things new, we're going to wrap up the, the, the full chapter one. Can you believe it? You may not accomplish much today, but you can go to bed knowing I read a whole chapter of the Bible, yo. I'm feeling good. All right. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. Let us, let, to be like us. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit, fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And I want you to circle this. And that is what happened. Uh, Other translations say, and it was so. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. So that's how God made things. And I I want to point out one more little observation here. You probably saw it several times. I try to highlight it each time we passed it. But every time God spoke something, it would unfold and then it would say, and it was so. And that is what happened. And God said, let, we, let us create man in our image. And that is what happened. And God said, let there be light. And that is what happened. And God said, let there be a sun, let there be a moon to govern time and had days and seasons. And that is what happened. Over and over in the poem, you find this cadence of God said, and that is what happened. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And over and over, you get this rhythm. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And there's something here you have got to get. And this is, this is it. When God says it, it will happen. When God says it, 
it will happen. Now, you misread this Genesis account if your assumption is at the end of the day when it says God had finished his work. When it says finished, again, there's a lot of words that we're seeing the Genesis account sees a little differently than you and I see. When we say finished, you're thinking like Adam and Eve are there and they got a tiki hut and they're all good and everything's, they got gardens and everything's cultivated and they're talking to animals. Hey, Adam, I'm an elephant. And you're thinking of all this stuff, like you get all these fanciful ideas. But actually, it's really uncultivated and unfinished. That God started something And now it's set in motion. Did you see what he did? He said, now here, humans, you take it and see it come into fruition. So when it says that God had finished his creation, I think if you and I could teleport ourselves there and transport ourselves, we'd look around and say, what do you mean finished? It looks like it needs some renovations. Looks like it needs some cultivation. Looks like it's not done. So why are you calling something finished that's not finished? Have you ever felt like that in life? Like when you come, maybe you've been coming to church for a while and it's like God says some things that are done that don't seem all that done. Like, like, you, like we read earlier, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, but I, doesn't, I don't feel super new. I feel old. Or you're, you're, you are free in Jesus' name, but you don't feel that free. I'm still pretty bound up by the old stuff. You ever felt like that? Like what God calls finished, we don't call finished? Yeah? Take this out of here. When God says it, it will happen. When God says it, it will happen. It says in Isaiah 55 that God's word never returns void and always accomplishes that for which he sent it. So you've got to understand something. When it comes to God speaking a word that brings life into your life, when he says it, his work is done. And it is only a matter of time until what God says you see. But when God says it, it happens. Here's my third observation. You can write, write this down. So when it, what, what does it take to see something new happen in your life? Here's the third realization. True new. If you're going to see God do something new in your life, it's going to be because you heard a word. He spoke it and that you walked in it. And then here's what it requires. It requires you to trust and believe and rest in the fact that when he said it, it will happen. And so your job as a believer is to walk in faith as though it is already done, even if it seems like it's not. That's the job of faith. To walk believing that if God said I'm free, I'm free. If God said I have the victory, I have the victory. If God said, I'm an overcomer, I'm an overcomer. And the test of faith is to walk believing that when he said it, it will happen. I'm going to invite the band to come back. We're going to close off here in just a second. But I want you to get this in your heart and your mind because you're going to leave. and You're going to to hear some things from God this year. And you're going to wonder, okay, God, you said it. Where is it? See, God's not locked into time like you and I are. 
When God speaks it, his word goes forth and his word will always accomplish that for which he sent it. So our job is to rest in the promises of what God has already said, believing that my eyes will inevitably see what God has said. It's just a matter of time. Like you, think about, you think about Jesus hanging on the cross. There he is. Everyone's kind of freaking out, like all of his followers, not understanding what's going on. Why is he doing this? This doesn't look like a conquering king to me. It looks like he just got conquered. And then he cries out with his last voice. What does he say? It is finished. Everybody there would say, no, it's not. You're finished. You're dying. That doesn't look finished to me. And then they wrap him up. They take him. They unhook him from the cross. They wrap up his dead body. They put him in a tomb. They close the door. That looks finished, but not the finished I thought. What are you calling finished when it doesn't look finished? Why are you saying your work's over? Why are you calling that finished? It doesn't look finished. But when Jesus said, when God says it's finished, it's finished. Even if it seems like it's not, even if he's one day in the ground, two days in the ground, three days in the ground, even if it seems like it's over, God is the God who new things spring up. He makes ways in the wilderness. It comes out of nowhere. God is the God that when he says it, it happens. It always happens. When he says you are free, you are free. Even if you got chains hanging off you, even if you're fighting that addiction, when God says you are free, your job is to walk in the truth that when God says it, it will happen. When God says you are healed, your job is, even in the face of disease, even when you die, God says, Jesus promised, you know, in John 10, 10, he said, anybody who comes after me and believes in me, even though they die, they shall live. So if he said it, it will happen. God's word always accomplishes what he wants to accomplish and nothing can stop it. When he says it, it will happen. If God says, train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. Even if said child who you brought to church and you prayed over and they know the truth and yet they've wandered far off, if he said it, it will happen. And there's coming a day where I will see my child come back into alignment and they will get it. Because when God says something, he doesn't tell me a promise. God doesn't make promises he doesn't plan to deliver on. God doesn't tell half truths. If he says it, it will happen. If he says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, if he said it, I don't care if all the arsenal of hell surrounding me pointing at me. If God says it, even if they open fire at me, if he says it, it will happen. It's only a matter of time if God says it, it will happen. I don't know who needs to hear that today, but you need to hang on to the promise. Your job is to hear what God has spoken. Where God said, let there be. If he said it, it will happen. Would you stand with me? I want to declare a couple things over you today before we go. Some of you might be hearing this. You're like, I don't even know. Like, okay, what has God said? If I want to see something new happen in my life, like what has God said that I can receive? Where's, where's the word power? Well, I got a few things I want to just declare over. And if you want to receive it today, I'm going to say, let there be. And I'm going to tell you what God has already spoken about you that can be yours in Jesus' name. And so I just want you to even just join me and say, amen, let it be unto me. So I want to read a few things over you. 
And we'll just say, we'll just speak the word over ourselves and say, that, let it be unto me. God said, you know, God said, let there be provision. He said in Philippians 4 that God will supply all that you need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So some of you got some lack and some gaps in your life this year. God says, let there be supply. If you want to receive that, say amen. Amen. God said, let there be protection for my people. Did you know that? It says in Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you will prosper. So if you want to receive protection, God said, let there be protection. God's people said, amen. amen. God said, let there be purpose in every moment, in every day, in every season, for every loss and every gain, for every disappointment, every letdown, every sideball, every curveball. He said, I will bring purpose. It says in Romans 8, 28, I will cause all things to come together. I will shake them into order for a purpose for your good. God said, let there be purpose. And God's people said, amen. Let it be unto me. God said, I want to bless and prosper you. Did you know that? That's in the Bible. God spoke it. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. God wants to bless you. Ephesians 1 says, God has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? 3 John says, I pray that you prosper in every single way and have good health, even as your soul prospers. God wants to bless and prosper you. He said, let there be blessing. And all God's people said, Amen. Let it be unto me. God said, I let there be power and strength in your weakness. Did you know he spoke that? Let there be power and strength. Psalm 29 says God gives strength to the weak. Isaiah tells us that he lifts us up on eagle's wings. It says in 2 Corinthians, it says that my sufficient grace is made perfect in your weakness. So God said, let there be strength in your weakness. And all God's people said... Amen. Let it be unto me. God said, I promise you wisdom. God said, let there be wisdom. How many of you need wisdom for some things in your life? Did you know in James, God invites you. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God will not, with any reservation, withhold from you. He'll pour it out and give it to you. So God said, let there be wisdom. And all God's people said, amen. God said, let there be peace. He said, let there be peace in every storm and in every trial and every dark night and every deep valley. He said, I will give you peace. It says in Philippians that the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. God said, let there be peace. And all God's people said, amen. And God said, let there be direct access. Let there be direct access that when you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be open. When you ask, it will be given. When you call on my name, I will hear from heaven. And I, my arm is not too short to reach you. My ear is not too distant to hear you. When you call on me, I will answer. So God said, let there be answered prayers. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give him a praise. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for new beginnings, Lord. We thank you for a new beginning in the name of Jesus.